0: Welcome to season nine of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green, and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our conversation, I would like to acknowledge the Darawa people, the traditional custodians on the land in which I'm recording, and pay my respects to elders past and present and emerging. We respect and honor Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders past, present, and future. And I acknowledge the stories, traditions, and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today it's my great pleasure to share a conversation that I recently had with Ian Timbrell. He is a former teacher who now spends his time ensuring that no student has to go through the challenges that he faced while he was at school. We all want schools to be places where students are seen and valued, and we all want schools that are more diverse and inclusive for all people. I won't give too much away here, but I encourage you to listen, really listen, as he shares his journey. He is incredibly brave, and it was wonderful to speak to him. In this podcast, though, we did talk about a number of very sensitive and personal issues. If you know someone or if yourself are struggling, please reach out and talk. No one should suffer alone. Links to mental health services both here and in the United Kingdom will be in the show notes. In the meantime, please sit back and enjoy this incredible discussion with the amazing Ian Timbrell. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for having a chat with me. Where are you uh, phoning in from today? Yeah, no, thanks for having me. So
1: I am phoning from Cardiff, which is in the old South Wales, the original South Wales.
0: Fantastic.
1: Um, so uh, in the UK.
0: Lovely. I, um, uh, as I said when we talked a couple of weeks ago, I have very fond memories of uh, Cardiff. I think it was Cardiff Arms Park, the big rugby stadium that. I got built a really long time ago, but I remember being a little kid and running onto that and thinking I was playing for the Lions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Which but is no, it, longer it's it's no, no longer there. It's no longer there. Is that, is that right? No, what is it now? A block it, of units? Hipster flats? What is yeah, it? It's uh,
1: the Millennium Stadium, So, uh, but they've kept one of the stands. So you can visit part of, of it, and uh, there's a much bigger stadium there now. Uh, an international than what it was? Classic. Oh, God, yes, much better. Um, With uh, the largest uh, closing roof of any stadium in the world, apparently.
0: Isn't it funny when you start to go for very niche records, um, like the largest (laughs) closing roof? Is there a record that is the largest opened roof I don't know if that's a thing but I I just no I idea yeah anyway uh, quite possibly uh, the most important conversation uh, question of our conversation Ian what's your coffee order for when I can finally zip up to the northern hemisphere and buy a coffee so my my fiance despairs
1: at my coffee order because he's very much a Puritan with coffee and just has an Americano but I'll go for anything with any syrups or cream or whatever so I can't really taste the coffee so generally you're safe for something like a caramel latte
0: Okay, and is um have hipsters made it over uh to to Wales yet? Is there any distressed wood and cafes and lattes and all that kind of stuff
1: everywhere? Yes, uh, I think they're actually on the decline. I think I noticed like I think they hit their peak a few years ago, and actually no one's got any money anymore. No one can
0: afford to be a hipster anymore. So well, uh, you know, all, they, living prices. They've crisis. all come over to uh to Sydney. We're full of them. There's so there's so many of them. <laughs> If, there you go. I know where they've gone. Yeah. Is is there an item, uh, Ian, that's still on your bucket list that you're still yet to uh, yet to tick off? Yes. So I hit the big 4.0 last year,
1: and um I have been saving for years to go to Machu Picchu in Peru. Right. Um and um I met my fiance about two years ago, and it's really funny in one of our first conversations, um, he also said he, it was his dream to go there. Amazing. So fingers yeah. crossed we're going well we were going to go there this summer but and now it's shut yeah um because of protests so we may have to push it back yet another year we pushed it back one year for covid and we may have to push it back but we will get there i've got the money i'm determined to go there
0: i uh i went there a number of years ago with my wife we spent about eight weeks over in south america and Machu Picchu was stunningly beautiful. Uh, we went in the wet season because it was cheapest, and we were poor, um, and it was uh, really, really beautiful. I remember walking along the the Inca Trail and turning to my right and seeing a, a number of hummingbirds just hanging, basically suspended in wow. the air, and it was breathtaking. And I would advise anyone to to go. It's amazing how many times that comes up as a. Bucket list item uh, mm. on, on the podcast, but uh, it's um, it's as beautiful as you think it would be. It's it's stunning. Um, so uh, good luck with uh, with ticking that one off. I look forward to getting a postcard at some point. Yeah. So, Ian, is there something that you have uh, recently changed your mind about? It could be personally, it could be professionally. Yeah. So I've been a teacher for the last fifteen years.
1: Um, strangely, I was not going to be a teacher. My original plan was to be a doctor, actually a brain surgeon. And uh, I dropped out after the second year of uni. I was the first in my family to go to uni, and I was the first in my family to drop out, which my parents were absolutely thrilled about, as you can imagine. Um, but yeah, so I've been teaching for fifteen years. I've been a, a deputy head teacher um, for the last five, and you know, was on my way to be a head teacher, a principal. That's what everyone told me I should do. That's what everyone said was next. I was being told left, right, and centre to apply. Right. And it just didn't feel right. It just didn't, there was something about it. And I actually went for a job in the summer and I didn't get it. And after the initial couple of hours of, you know, being disappointed, I was relieved. And I thought, you know what? I've got to listen to myself. My body is telling me you don't want this job because it is such an all-consuming job. So as most best decisions happen, uh, at three o'clock in the morning with about three bottles of wine down, I decided with my partner that I was going to leave school um and I knew that I wanted to stay in education but actually I needed to do something else it it was time to make a change
0: so I yeah yeah look I I'm so sorry to interrupt there's so much in that um like a transition and 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 all of that kind of stuff but take me back to that realization when you thought look I need to I need to make a change because teaching is one of those jobs that as you said is is all consuming and I think sometimes we feel we are on a Trajectory to go in a certain direction, but take me back to what that um what that conversation was like and that realization. I Man, I don't know if the education is
1: the same with you, but here certainly in the UK, it's a very linear trajectory. You know, you become a teacher, you become a deputy head, you might become a head of department, then you become a head teacher. That that is the way it works. There's very little sort of uh, lateral progression that you can do. You know, and I felt very boxed in. Um, and I. I always wanted to know, I think most educators want to make a difference. We're not in it for the money. Let's be honest, are we? You know, it's not a a profession that anyone sings about the money. But I I just felt over the last couple of years that I wasn't making the difference that I used to. I had the challenge that I was a teaching deputy. So I was teaching for three days and a deputy for two. And I was feeling like I wasn't doing either job well because both were too busy. Anyone who's a part-time teacher knows you're not a part-time teacher. You're pretty much full-time. But when I also felt on my days when I was deputy, wasn't enough time to do everything. So I I, I just sat down with my partner and he basically interrogated me to try and find out what was it in the job I loved. And the bit that I love in the job is training people, doing consultancy and developing diversity. And those are the things that I realised, actually, this is what I want to make my career out of. As much as I love the classroom, teaching is no longer for me. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't want to become a head teacher because it is that job which is you're very much on your own. You are <sighs> the pressure was something that I didn't feel like the reward that I would get from the pressure was worth it. And so, you know, I looked at my skill set and I thought, you know what, training,
0: consultancy, that that's what I love. So, if we were to sit down with your partner, um, if I was to—I I haven't. This is an interrogation. <laughs> uh, but if I was to sit down with, with with your partner or your family and talk about what you were like during that period, uh, what do you, what do you think they would say?
1: He knew there was something wrong. Uh, I was very quiet, which I am not a quiet person. Uh, I'm a typical Gemini, and I, uh, I I can talk to to the cows from home, and I. I I just wasn't myself. I wasn't happy. I wasn't excited going into work. I'd lost all motivation, even prepping for the interview for the head teacher position. I wasn't my usual enthusiastic self. Uh, And and he just knew that something had to change. And and I I think what he expected was that after the hedge, when I got a headship position, then that's when I would change. But actually, I think we both could see that 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 wasn't the right path. And I just lost that spark I lost that drive to get up in the morning um and I just I was drifting from day to day which we spend a third of our life in work and that's you know you need to do what you love because otherwise you're wasting your life
0: look absolutely I mean there is there's almost in you know, a, a whole podcast episode in itself on that about how we navigate transition how we are and and why we should be honest with ourselves and and um i think that's incredibly brave and incredibly bold of you even just to admit that there's a problem because i'm sure there's so many people out there that are silently suffering but the the incentives and the pay and i know you said that i mean the there's not the pay is not the reason why we go into teaching but the the consistency of a wage and an income is just too um a uh, uh, too much to turn down i mean did you did you feel that? Did you feel like you you had a you had a job, uh, you had a steady income? The responsible thing would have just been to kind of suck it up and, and carry on. Did you feel that pressure as well? Because I don't know oh, if completely. I'm brave enough to do what you uh, had done. I think it's incredibly admirable.
1: I think the the difficulty is, although, you know, I, I I don't feel as educators and across the world, educators aren't paid actually for the work that they do. I was in a position where I was well paid, and you know, I was above the average wage in the UK. And, it, you know, if I just would did go into another career, I would be starting from scratch again. So I had to accept straight away that I probably would be taking a pay cut for a while. Um, yeah. But, I, and you know, I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got a nine-year-old boy who eats more than I do. Uh, and, you know, that, that that was a huge consideration. Yeah. Um And but I had to go, well, actually, what, what's more important that we can go on a lovely summer holiday? So you're happy for two weeks of the year, but you're miserable for the other 50. You know what? What is important here? And we sort of sat down and looked at our budget and realized, you know what? If the, if, if the worst happens, I didn't earn any money in this new job. Actually, we could survive and it would be surviving. But actually, i would be doing what i love for the first time in in quite a long time so definitely that and that was actually the money was the scariest thing for me about leaving because it was that for the first time in 15 years i wasn't going to get a salary you know i wasn't going to get a, a so it was terrifying but i was lucky you know i had the support of my partner and my family um to 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 take the plunge
0: yeah and thank goodness for supportive partners and families and 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 what what would your advice Ian, be to somebody who maybe felt like that they were in the same position that you were in um uh, it was really interesting. yeah, yeah a bit stuck what would your advice be
1: it was really interesting the one of the first meetings I had so when I went freelance and I decided I wanted to help schools with advisory and consultancy was actually with a head teacher who wanted training in their school but actually said oh do you mind if the second half of the meeting I can have a chat with you how to get out so literally, it was. I was like, oh, I've only been doing this a week.
0: I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> that's funny. First all, yeah, I know. I was like, I. I and As he freelance. Did did you charge him for that? Did you like? Well, I can, but my consultancy fee is. Uh, is this? Do you know, what? I did not think of that. I should have thought of <laughs> that.
1: Look <actually>. at <laughs> uh, a new niche.
0: <laughs> it's a little bit mean, isn't it, to uh, to to send someone an invoice when you know they're down? But 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 I do think that's a that's interesting. I mean, what did that what what did that conversation? Uh, what was that like to be in there? It was, I think we have, and I'm not sure if it's the same
1: in Australia, but in the UK, we have a retention crisis with leadership in schools. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, And it's really worrying. Uh, And what they were saying was that they did the job for 15 years and they felt like they couldn't get anything else out of it and they wanted to do a new challenge and they loved the job. So it was a very different situation to me, whereas I felt like I wasn't happy in a job. They were very happy in a job, but felt like they need to do something different So I sort of chatted them through the process. You know, I went to a business manager. I did my research. I spoke to other people who were doing similar roles to me to actually find out and get the realities, both the ups and the downs. Uh, And I, I, you know, I've got a meeting with him in a few weeks, actually, which would be interesting to see if he's done anything about it, because, you know, this person is from an award winning school would be snapped up. To support other schools you know he's turned around three failing schools so he's in a really good position to do it but again it is and, and and the biggest thing for him was like oh it's taking the plunge isn't it you know if I leave here I don't have a contract for the first time in so many years so it is that that fear that holds you back and I think in teaching We're we're not very good at taking the plunge because we are used to security. Teaching is a very secure job. You have to mess up quite badly to lose your job in teaching, I think. Um, Certainly in the UK, it's very difficult to lose your job. Um, And I think mostly the way is redundancy and you're very well protected. So we're used to being protected. And and that that vulnerability that comes being self-employed is something that we're just not used to.
0: And look, um, Ian, we will move. I'm sure the people that are listening are like, just ask him what he does because <laughs> <laughs> like, and I, I promise we'll move on to that. Um, Just one more question before we do. Um, Two more questions, sorry. Uh, what was your upbringing like? And also what are you most grateful for from your parents? You talked about the significant role that your family had in supporting you, but. Is there anything else that you're really grateful for from your parents?
1: Yeah. So I when I was born, my, my family were uh, we didn't have any money. We we lived in a um, a council owned house. We, um you know, we going pay pack to pay packet. My dad was an electrician in the steelworks. And I remember, you know, having conversations about having no money and that the meals we used to have, you know, buying food was a struggle, paying bills was a struggle. So I very much was used to early on when I was very young of, of knowing what it's like to have nothing. My dad then, when I was about six, set up his own business, which an estate agency business, and it absolutely exploded. It, it went amazingly well. And all of a sudden, you know, my, the rest of my childhood, I, I I was very lucky and very privileged that I got whatever I wanted but there was always that tinge of knowing where you've come from. And I've always valued that of going, actually, I'm very lucky. I got to travel the world. I got to see things. I got wonderful gifts. However, I also had to work. So from the age of 10, I had to work. That's so right. um, and I had to do I did a paper round. I worked in a shop. I hand out leaflets because my, my parents view very much was. If you want to get money, you earn money. So they had a logic that I only got pocket money if I had a job, which as a kid, I could not understand. But it gives you that work ethic because you know that if you don't work, you you don't get money. And they were always supportive, but they they were very supportive in their own way. I grew up in a very small town where my parents were very similar. Um, You had to fit into a certain box. So the box that everyone fitted into in the town I came from was rugby players. Um, men were men women were women and I always felt like I never quite fit in I felt like my identity was never allowed to be what I wanted it to be Um, I had to hide myself for for quite a long time and that's you know I love my parents to bits and they've learned a lot over the years but certainly then you know the image they had for me was right he will play rugby till he's 18 when he leaves, he, he'll go to university. He will become a doctor. You know, my plan was sort of set out for me when I from when I was, yeah. you know, about seven years old, and that's that's really difficult and something that very much I felt like I was living up to something my whole time and never could. I I was never going to achieve what
0: they wanted to. Wow, and and we'll we'll talk about representation and your and your amazing work for those people listening. I promise I'll ask him what he does, <laughs> uh, but. Um what was that like not to not to fit in because i know those um I, I was from the midlands in the uk and i know sort of as you move kind of towards the more kind of northern uh, northern england you have kind of the working class families you have very um it, it's like i remember being in part of a very small town and there was a very clear kind of path forward and and i i never like i i never i, I could never relate to your experience growing up but but i um I kind of felt like I didn't kind of belong there as well but what was that like for you I mean obviously um yeah I mean what was that like feeling like you yeah. did? I I just knew that I was different I didn't know what it was
1: um so uh, and what it was was that I was gay and yeah. but I didn't know what gay was and I learned the word when I was 13 which is terrifying uh, and you know imagine in today's society someone not learning what that meant so yeah I wow. grew up my whole childhood thinking that I was just a bit broken because yep. you know watching tv shows and the other boys were talking about the gir- the pretty girls and I was like going along with it but actually in my head I was going actually oh, he's quite fit I like him but I, I, I couldn't work out why and I, I used to have conversations with myself in my bedroom telling me to stop it no 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 you have to like the girls because I didn't understand why I had these feelings and I really thought I was wrong and it's because we had in the UK, we had a law called Section 28, which was a law in the 80s and the 90s brought in by Margaret Thatcher, which banned any conversation of homosexuality in schools. And it was only repealed in 2004, just not that long ago, you know, so that my entire school life, anything to homosexuality was illegal. The The strange thing about it is that no schools were ever punished or charged with breaking it. But schools were so terrified of this act, they didn't. Um, And when I went to secondary school, and I finally realised that I was gay, um, I was bullied quite badly for it. But um, I went to the school to complain and the deputy head teacher of the second, I went to a very, very large secondary school. And they Told me we'll just fit in with everyone else, just just you know, and so I did, and I hid it. I hid it for a very very long time. I didn't accept it myself. I just tried to be like everyone else, and and that caused huge amount of of mental health problems that I'm still dealing with today.
0: Wow. Um, for what it's worth, I'm really sorry you went through that. I know I, I can't fix it, um, but I, I couldn't imagine what that would be like for. For any student, regardless of 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 their identity, or regardless of anything that would that they would feel like they didn't belong somewhere, um, I, I think that's really awful. And and as I uh, promised to the people that are listening, what what do you do now, and why why go back into schools? Because it sounds particularly it sounds like a yeah. particularly traumatic part of your um your life. Are you uh, nuts or? do you want to maybe change that narrative slightly? I, I am a bit nuts,
1: I won't lie. and My son will
0: actually <laughs> agree with that. nothing wrong with being
1: nuts, yeah. No, yeah. All, I love the Dr. Seuss quote. They're all a bit weird, because I think we are, to be honest. Yeah. So um, when get that... back
0: into schools?
1: So I when I was going to become a teacher, I had this debate of whether to go into primary or secondary, and I have quite triggering memories of secondary school, and I knew early on that actually I'm not going to go there. So I went to primary schools. But but when I in the summer when I was deciding what to do, I was actually going right. What what actually do you want to do to make a difference? And and this the inclusion diversity just stuck out because about a year before I had a huge amount of counselling where I only admitted all of this stuff. How, actually, how I felt about it about two years ago, you know, it's still very new for me to talk about it publicly. Basically, when I left uni, when I left uni, the because re- I mentioned earlier that I finished a medical degree, the reason I left a medical d- degree was because I tried to commit suicide, and because of my mental health problems. And I, when I sat with my partner in the garden at that three o'clock in the morning, I went, I would love to go into school to make sure that ne- that never happens to anyone ever again, because no one should have gone through what should be a nurturing, caring system. To get to the point where they tried to take their own life um and you know i am very open about my suicide attempt now um until two years ago only one person knew that i did it they were the person that picked me up from the hospital and they will always remain anonymous um but i just knew that i had to do something to make sure that this doesn't happen again and we are unfortunately in a point where violence against LGBT plus people is increasing in the UK and in other countries worldwide. You know, we are in a point where we have to fight for our rights again, where extremists are attacking our rights. And I want to be part of that pushback to go, actually, we deserve to have equal rights, not just in law, but in society as well. And and my role in that is helping schools and children.
0: So, Ian, I... I, I'm I'm very I'm very rarely speechless. I mean, ask my wife and, and I, I, I don't in any way um want to, to gloss over what you've said. I mean I, I couldn't imagine being at a point where you felt like that was the only option. Um and as a and as a dad, um and as a, a human being, it, it breaks my heart to know that there would be unfortunately so many people for whatever reason in schools that feel like they don't belong and feel like that this could be the only option and 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 if i could um if i could just ask you a follow up question on that um if you looking back if you could have a chance to sit down with your younger self when you were going through that experience um what would you what would you say what would you what would you, what would you do? Because, yeah.
1: I I mean, the first thing I'd say is that you're not on your own because I, I grew up until probably about the age of 16 thinking that I was the only person, the only boy in the world who liked other boys. I, I didn't know there were others because there were none on TV who were out, you know, they were, they were caricatures of gay people, but they were always the butt of jokes on TV, you know? um And, I, there was no representation in schools. And so I did think I was the only one. And that's why, you know, I was trying to, I was almost trying to self condition myself out of it because I thought, well, you're the only one, so you've got to change it. And I would just say, you're not, you're not alone. There are other people out there with you. And you know what? You are normal. Uh, There is nothing abnormal about the way that
0: you feel. We're all just different. Mm -hmm. um, and, And you'll be okay. And I'll, um, it would be a miss of me as well in, in our show notes to put links, um, uh, to, uh, we have kids helpline and we have a number of organizations in Australia. And I'm sure you have the same in the UK. Um, that if there is somebody out there that, that feels like they need to talk to somebody, um, I'll, I'll put all those details in the show notes because I'm aware that we're talking about some really, uh, traumatic and really challenging conversations. And I, I can only thank you Ian, for your, um, for your bravery. I mean, like you mentioned, this is, a, a, ve- a very recent uh part of your life that you're opening up to the world and I think it's incredibly brave um and Ian I'm j- just just wondering um what has how has being a father changed you when you think back so, to that little boy yeah. in school um, <laughs> yeah how how has it changed and we had a conversation off air and I'd love you to maybe yeah talk about how being a yeah. dad's so
1: I I uh, have a nine-year-old who um, I adopted with another man, uh, I can't believe it was seven years ago, it was terrifying. Um, and I, I mean, I certainly, when I was in my early 20s, I thought I'd never become a dad, you know, um, adoption wasn't um, really an option for same-sex families, um, you know, 20 years ago, it happened, but it was so rare. I think you just look at the world in a new light. Don't you look at priorities? I mean, we need to talk about the fact that going out on a Saturday night now, I can't wait to, you know, um, get to bed and to actually have a lie in and have a cup of tea. That's what typical, you know, stereotypical British. I just look forward to getting home, sat on the sofa with a cup of tea and a biscuit.
0: Um, and that is living, I tell you. Oh, like it, it is. Oh, I love a cup of tea. Love a cup of tea. You, okay, can um, I just do on that English breakfast? Oh gray Yorkshire tea what's your cup of tea of choice um either english breakfast tea
1: um or i do like herbal teas i'm getting more and more i like i do like a herbal tea um, so, uh, but I, I've got a very, I have got a random fact, I've got three kidneys, so I have to be very careful how much caffeine I have, so I can't have three teas. I know that, that you weren't expecting that, were you? I, I,
0: I feel, feel yeah. like that should, that should almost be in the, uh, the, 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 the tagline of, uh, of the episode, the man with three <laughs> kidneys. Uh, uh, look, Ian, I'm really sorry, I interrupted your story. How is being a dad, uh, changed? No. Um, so I
1: think I just look... Particularly with this role now is, you know, when I think, what what does my son see in school? You know, does he see representation of his family? Does he see stories with two dads? Does he, uh, you know, when they, like they learned about weddings, for example, with the pictures of two dads get married. And, and I know that it's not happening because I um, got engaged on Christmas Day, just gone. And my son was really shocked. He was like, what? But you're getting married to another man. Even despite he's had two dads for the last seven years, you know, because he hasn't seen that representation, um, he hasn't seen it. And that took me by surprise because I made a huge assumption that he would be, you know, just expected, but he didn't. But it's just given me that extra drive to go, do you know what? I have to make a difference for him. If I can make all schools safe for pe- not just the LGBTQ people, but also people from same sex families because there are more and more of them and they need to
0: feel included just like everyone else so it's interesting um in considering representation and I um uh, my experiences of my story is very different to yours I mean I um I was born in the UK and my uh my wife was born in South Africa she's Indian South African um and uh, her family lived through um apartheid and 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 were talking to me about these uh, awful stories and, and my understanding is that apartheid only finished in 97 like i have yeah. socks and t-shirts older than that like it's quite shocking um and so our girls are mixed race indian australian uh english girls and i was walking through um i believe it was peter Marisburg in south africa and i, I remember holding on to my wife's hand and this is quite a rural um uh, uh rural city and i said to her i said i i I don't feel like I belong here. Like, and I was looking in um, the the shop windows and I could see uh, models that didn't look like me. I looked around, there was nobody that had blonde hair and blue eyes. And my wife like pulled me a little bit closer and she says, that's how I felt every single day when I came to Australia. Um, and so it's a reminder and that's just, and that's in some small way. That was my uh, realization that things like representation matters. I mean, the color of the dolls that my children have are really important um, because it shows a diversity and a breadth and a variety of people and different types of people and i w- would you mind maybe uh, uh, touching on that and talking about why why representation in school ma- schools matters why is it important for kids to see people that look like them to see their families represented and why is it uh, why do you think it's essential for things like uh, well-being in schools so, what I'd say,
1: first of all is if you've never thought about
0: this, it's because you are represented. If it's never yeah. could, yeah it's like the there's not an issue with white heterosexual males. Well, that's yeah. sorry, I don't feel like there is an issue. That's because, yeah, I am one of them. <laughs> like it's a really, yeah, sorry, yeah, that's used... it. and yeah, you know as
1: as as a white male. Yeah. Um, I never thought about my race being represented because it is represented and it yeah, drives to. me nuts yeah. when people yeah. say online, oh, oh, God, you know, why? Why are we having adverts with people of colour on and things? That that's not what the UK looks like. I'm like, yes, it is. It might not be in a little village that you live in, but actually that's not the world, the real world, you know, and that's the thing. Um, Yeah, if you've never thought about it, it doesn't affect you. But you have to put yourself in other people's shoes. And what I say, intersectionality, I think, is so important. So put yourself in the place of a person of colour who is in a wheelchair and is a lesbian, for example. I mean, there's so many complex things there. But actually, are they seeing themselves in your school? Are they seeing people of colour? Are they seeing people with disabilities? Are they seeing um, people of different genders and sexualities? Because if they don't, it comes to a sense of belonging. They don't belong there. They're an other. They're an outsider. And we have to make, we like I always say, you know, we all have our privileges. So part of my privilege is that I'm a white male. That comes with inheritance privileges that means I naturally have benefits in life I'm more likely to be on higher wages I'm less likely to go to prison I'm less likely to have mental health issues but Mm. with that privilege then I feel comes a responsibility
0: yes and it's not
1: about white savior complex we have to be careful we're not swooping in and being superman but we have a responsibility to recognize that we have that privilege and to like at my schools, I try to, to show as much diversity as possible in all its forms, you know, uh, and looking at uh, the different ways that we can celebrate and represent that diversity is so important so that everyone feels like it's a community
0: that they belong to. Yeah, I, I think that's so incredibly important, Ian. And um like i don't think anybody listening to this would would disagree with the idea that schools need to be more inclusive schools need to be places where all students regardless of background regardless of orientation regardless of language or cultural heritage or belief or whatever um need to feel like they they belong and tell me a little bit ian about the the work that you do in schools um i'd love to do a bit of a deep dive on some of your projects uh what does it look like i mean this is um uh, you're doing some really, really important work. So, yeah, what, is, what does it look like?
1: So uh, the, the main thing that I'm doing at the moment, which is it's not what I expected, it, um, is supporting the teachers. I, I thought that I'd be going into doing lots of workshops with children yeah. and, and things like that. But actually, it's the teachers are asking for help with this yeah. exact thing that we're talking about, about representation. You know, how do we do representation really well? You know, what we don't want it to be, is a tick list you know uh, and we want to make sure that it it's it's not virtue signaling that actually we have true representation so very often i give lots of training i give it online um and i give it in person but actually going through i always start with the boring stuff because you have to start with your policies you know start with actually do you have an equalities policy that is representative of every single person in your school and that could come to your school and then I, you know i train on the things that people are worried about like the terminology you know if i said to people lgbtqia plus can you describe what every single one of those letters is most people don't um, and so I explain all of that, but also why it's important and part, you know, I tell my life story to show from my perspective why it's important and you know, I only have one viewpoint. Um, and then developing the curriculum. So, you know, giving ideas for actually how we can improve representation, how we can tackle complex issues, such as sexuality, because it is becoming um, more and more important. And also a big part of what I do is um, tackling misinformation. So there, you know, there's a campaign group in Wales where I live at the moment, which has taken the Welsh government to court to stop all sex and relationship education. And, which is ludicrous, you know, because most of relationship with sex education is about healthy relationships. It's about respecting each other and being kind. Um, but they they put out all sorts of false information, you know, sex, sexualization of kids. You know, they say, Oh, how do you explain same-sex relationships without talking about sex? And I'm like, Well, my son is nine, he knows he has two dads, and I've never talked to him about sex, so it is possible. Um, and it's tackling lots of this information is, is a big part of my role. And it's been really interesting. You know, I've had schools from initially across the UK, but I've actually got some schools internationally now who I'm working with, which is really exciting because the message of inclusion and diversity is the same wherever you live. You know, it's no different. Whatever country you live in, there are nuances that are different and the curriculum might be different, but representation and acceptance is is human and and we all can have the same messages and learn from the same hymn sheet
0: and I'm, I'm just interested in uh, firstly if you don't have any clients in Australia hopefully someone can hear this and we can get you to come for a trip it'd be great to uh to show you the sights of our beautiful city but um I'm just wondering um what are you I'm sure there are some people that you come across that think, you know, no, the, the place of the schools is to teach children this, this, and this. And, and how do you begin yeah. to have that conversation um, about how do you um, partner with parents and community to be able to build more inclusive and holistic spaces? Because I think there's a lot of people that still have very traditional views of what schooling is. Um, but would you mind maybe talking a little bit about that? I mean, it is interesting. And, and the... The campaigns generally
1: against uh, these people like to think also that they're in the majority and they very much are not. Um, It's just that people who are happy with this type of thing in education just don't say anything because they're happy. You you know, you only hear from the people who are unhappy. And so this sort of echo chamber happens where they tend to follow the same people in social media. So in their eyes, everyone is unhappy with representation in schools because actually the only people they're talking to is this minority. But it's mm. and one of the phrases they often use is "off oh, teach facts, not ideology in schools, as if we've only ever taught hard facts. Well, that's absolute rubbish. That's absolutely. I'm sorry. That is, you know, maybe in maths you do. But if you think about science, science is all based on theory. You know, most things in science we can't prove. So we've always been teaching theory. You know, if we think about religious studies, yeah, religion is all ideology. Um, And so teaching ideology is nothing that's new. And some people are afraid we're indoctrinating children into LGBTQ+. Now, let me tell you this. When I was in school, I was exposed to pictures and videos of straight people my whole school life, and I didn't turn straight. So the opposite is exactly the same. If you show pictures of diverse families... They're not gonna turn gay. It's not a thing, it doesn't happen. Um, and that—that that is such an important message that, that we need to give is that representation doesn't change whose people identity it is. They, it just changes their awareness of other people's identities. Um, and, and it's so important, but it is a constant battle we are having uh, with, as, as I said, a minority of parents who refuse to accept and and it always underlying these things are always things like racism homophobia biphobia transphobia even though they won't admit it that always is at the core of of their
0: arguments they just don't like saying it yeah And, and i i found it really interesting that point that you that you shared about like we are constantly um we it's very easy to become in so being an echo chamber and i think about like my facebook feed is a lot of pictures of uh, guys wearing chinos and fedoras and I and I I said to my wife, I said, is this the same sorry, Instagram feed you're getting? And she said, no, I think it's targeted ads. So maybe that's saying more about the things that I search up fashion wise. But but I do think that idea of an echo chamber is um is really true and really terrifying. Um and I was just wondering, um, is there something that you have uh, changed your mind about um we don't I, I know we sort of alluded to this at the beginning of the uh of the episode I mean it could be um like a mindset that you're trying to shift it could be a way that you're trying to expand a certain uh, view or ideology in your life but is there something that you're trying to change your mind about or kind of yeah I don't know if I've explained that well yeah, but, yeah. The, I mean the big thing for me
1: is my views on transgender people And I am very honest about the fact that my views over the last two years have changed incredibly. Um, I read a book called The Transgender Issue by Sean Fay, um, who is a trans woman. And this is the thing, when, when we talk about transgender people, very often transgender people aren't in the conversation. Um, so we're getting the view of others you know you look at so many news articles so many panel shows where they're talking about transgender rights and there's never a transgender person there and actually hearing from what it's like as someone's transgender really fundamentally changes your mindset and I think that my worry with this I've learned loads over the last two years about it and these people are the most marginalized in society, particularly if you combine it with a person of colour, if you've got a person of colour who's transgender, they are so marginalised, it's so isolating for them, and they have such huge sectors of society that are discriminating against them, and actually what they need is us to be allies to support them, um, and I, what my worry about is that the argument uh, uh, over transgender people has turned into something that's incredibly toxic online, from both Sides, it's become basically a slagging match. Um, You know, you only have to look at people like J.K. Rowling, who is as I, I, I'm really sad the way she's gone. You know, she is so offensive online, unfortunately now, and hides her transphobia behind. Uh, looking after women's rights but actually we all want women's rights we all want equality but that doesn't mean you have to marginalize another sector of society and it's still something i'm learning about it's still something i'm learning and, and what i'd say to anyone who wants to learn about these things is read things or watch things from a person a transgender person's perspective That that's they're the people you know if we were talking about racism you wouldn't take a lesson on racism from someone who was white you would take it from person of color, and it's exactly the same with transgender people. We should be listening to the transgender people, not the bigots who are trying to erase their identities.
0: Ian, I mean, you only have to read the newspapers in in Australia, and I'm sure they're the same in the UK, and and to see the the narrative. It seems like language has become more and more divisive, and more and more toxic, and more and more isolating. Um do you are you confident with the direction in which things are heading um and also uh do you think that there is a bit of a generational shift happening here amongst the young people that you speak with in schools because i i don't know if it's just newspapers trying to sell stories but i mean i um i find it really affects me when i'm reading stuff online because it's pretty awful you know and and, and anyway sorry I've, I've kind of taken part of your answer there but yeah no it, it is and I, I both am I both have hope
1: and worry because actually when I go to schools when I talk to people in public everyone I'm talking to either it wants transgender people to have equal rights and understands that you know what there are instances where for instance transgender women have had access to women's safe spaces and uh, you know um they've been convicted of sexual assault That's not all transgender women. Most people understand that that was that one person. And in every sector of society, we have criminals. That doesn't mean we should then criminalise the whole of that sector of society. And that's what I'm hopeful is that most people are recognising. My fear is that that exact strategy was used against homosexuals in the 80s and 90s. It was used in the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s. And it was used in the women's rights movements at the turn of the last century. We're seeing the same patterns where what they do is they take individuals who are criminals and they they tarnish the whole of that minority group with the same brush. And the yeah. worst thing for me is that the minority, and it is a minority of feminists, are uh, using the strategies that were used against women 100 years ago. And I think that's they—they they can't seem to see. But again, it's because they're in this echo chamber. You only have to look at J.K. Rowling's Twitter, who she follows, to see that all she is seeing is this rhetoric all the time. Uh, and and I'm not surprised she's become brainwashed. And I'm hopeful that she will see one day that actually, you know, transgender people can live alongside
0: men and women with equality, um, because they, you know
1: they deserve that equality.
0: Yeah. I um it made me think of something and 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 laugh uh but the the undertones are quite serious there was a recent article uh, uh on the abc so the australian broadcasting corporation and it says that there are fewer women who run top australian companies than men named john peter or david um and i think that is wow. yeah and, and and look i i think you, i mean we we can laugh it's a great it's a hilarious title but i think the undertone there is is really quite serious. Um and I think about my I think about my daughters. I really do. I think about how can we possibly have people in positions of power that are making decisions for a group of people that don't feel like they're represented. And that is that that can be taken to all aspects of society. And I think it it really matters to see people that look like you. And it really matters to they, they let's just take for example um representation of women. It i think it's preposterous that there are white men making decisions about women's health who don't have any experience um and so i think your work is is extremely important um and i um, one of the things that i'm really grateful from 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 my dad i know i'm not the one getting interviewed but um i just thought i'd share um i i lived in this uh like i said really remote beautiful country town called belper which is in nottingham uh near derby beautiful part of the world um my dad uh was a podiatrist until he retired and and i remember every sunday we had this big oak dining room table and every sunday there'd be people from the hospital doctors that he would invite over or friends from the local town and the diversity around that table was really quite special and considering the um the, uh, the small country town that I, were, I was a part of i was so uh, excited to hear people from different faiths from different backgrounds from different colors from different ideologies having a conversation together um and i think at the end of the day like um myself and yourself we just want the best for our kids you know we just want to create a world and create a school where our kids feel safe and they feel represented represented and do you think a lot of these problems would be solved if we just sat down and had a conversation with people and had a cup of tea and and actually asked them about their experience what what are your thoughts on that would you like to see us bring back that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the problem at the moment. These conversations are having
1: on social media and yeah. social media. It becomes a, a very much us and them shouting match. I mean, I only rejoined Twitter about a year ago and I've been amazed at in a year how I've seen it change. Wow. It is, you know, it it you can't have an opinion on it and you can't learn. I think that's my worry about social media. So you're not allowed to learn anything. You know, you when you look at like James Gunn, for example, the director who said things, what was it, 10, 15 years ago on social media and lost his job as a director because of it, even though he doesn't have those views now. And you just go, well, what are we saying to people then? Are we saying that society shouldn't move forward? And I think that's what we need to move away from is that conversation, social media. And as you said, we need those people around the table. And if we are talking about a particular minority or diversity, they need to be represented on that panel. That That's the most important thing. As you said, we shouldn't be having a chat conversation about women without women there. We shouldn't be having a conversation about transgender people, that transgender people there. You know, it, it, is, it is the case for all diversities that it should be them making the decisions
0: because they're the one living it. Mm, absolutely. And Ian, um, this is a very existential question. And I do want to be respectful of your time. I'm aware it's early in the morning, uh where you are over um in the beautiful uk um but what do you hope your legacy will be um with the work that you do i mean looking back 30 40 years time what what do you hope you would have achieved i hope that there are children
1: who can pinpoint a day in their school where something changed where they felt more accepted um or even a teacher, um, I gave a talk uh, to a group of parents before I actually started this job, when I was sort of exploring it, um, to a group of parents about their LGBT teens. And one of their mums came up to me afterwards and came out to me. And I was the first person she'd ever came out to, which, which was mind-blowing. And it was so humbling. And it, it was one of those things where I went, this is what I want to do. This is, if I can have a few people who can go, do you know what? After that guy came in, I felt like I could be myself. That that would make this job worthwhile. And if my son can grow up in a society where he can be who he wants to be, that that's what I want. I always want him to feel like he can achieve his potential and he's not having to
0: hide who he is because of either me or society. I think that's a that's a really wonderful place to start to draw our conversation to a close. And, um, Ian, just in closing, um, if I was sitting down with you about to start my career as a school teacher, we're sitting down having a coffee, uh, with, ca- with a caramel latte with sprinkles on, uh, or whatever your preferred, uh, <laughs> over sugared caffeine beverages. Um, what would your advice be to me, someone that's just about to start their career in education? Um, I'd say, first of all, realise this is both the
1: hardest and the most wonderful job that you will have, because I think we have to be honest with our new teachers. But also, I would say walk through your classroom, walk through your school as someone who is intersectionality. So walk through your school as a person of colour, in a wheelchair who has divorced parents. Can you see yourself in that school? Can you see yourself in your lessons, in your curriculum? And if you can't, you need to help them to be seen um, because it's it's your responsibility and you will make such a difference to those children um, who need you more than anyone else. And uh, that's the legacy that you should leave as a teacher. They'll learn maths and English regardless, but actually, if you can make a, a
0: difference to their soul and to their happiness, that that's the biggest legacy that you can leave. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more, Ian, and I love the idea that people will forget what we teach them, but they will remember how we made them feel. Might that there will be a lot of teachers that listen to this episode um, that do that walk and walk through their classrooms and think, okay, if I was a diverse student, if I was a student from a variety of backgrounds or different identities, could I, could they see themselves in my classroom? And, and I think your work is incredibly important. I, I, I commend you for your, um, uh, for your bravery. Um, and, um, I, uh, you inspire me to take bold risks. So thank you for you. Thank you for taking the time and, um, I'll put all the information related to your work and how people can get in contact with you in our show notes. And uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Matthew. It's been a, it's been a pleasure chatting to you.